It's our goal today that by the time you walk out these doors, that you will walk out of here as a man or a woman on a mission for God. Don't you love to, to, to meet somebody that's on a mission? We, we talk often about, about someone that's a man on a mission, that when you encounter them, it's, it's very clear from the moment you meet them that they woke up with something on their mind, they spend all day dreaming and praying about it, and they're just on a mission for God. I think about one of the members of our satellite campus in Birmingham, Tim Gendry, they're, they're a new family, and Every time I talk to Tim, he's dreaming of how he could reach someone for Jesus Christ and, and how the church could improve and be what it needs to be. You'd love to see a man on a mission. I think of one of our uh, own brothers here that, man, all you've got to do is look at him and know he's on a mission. And that is uh, our brother Jim Sanderson. Have you ever just watched Jim? Got that big daytimer under his arm? You walk, you walk, anybody ever watched the way he walks? I mean, he, he walks leaning like this. I mean, it's just, it's just a constant, I mean, from one thing, any about seen that, okay, you've seen it. I mean, if this man, if you see him any time, day or night, he is on a mission. And here's what I want to say to you this morning, is the man that was on the greatest mission ever was Jesus Christ. I mean, he was a man on a mission. It's what he woke up thinking about, it's what he did. Every step, every word, every smile, every tear, every thought, every prayer, every kindness was a part of his mission. And today we talk about that. And we're going to look at a, a few different words. Uh, look at the word missionary. Uh, a popular word among uh, scholars today is the word missional. And then we're going to close out looking at the idea of missional living and what that means to us. Let's start off with the term maybe we're most familiar with, which is a missionary. And the definition, that's pretty, pretty simple. It's just someone who's sent on a mission. Someone sent on a mission. I mean, Jesus Christ came, didn't he, with a, a really clear mission. Here's his mission statement, Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what he was about. And before he left, he passed the baton on to his disciples. I love in the Olympics to watch the relay races. And all the timing involved and the importance of that baton is passed and it's not dropped. And never in history has there been a relay race where it was more important that the baton was passed and not dropped. Look what Jesus said before he left, John chapter 20. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He sent those men and women on a mission. And if they had failed... Christianity would just be a blip in history of a small group that had this odd claim that its Messiah had resurrected from the dead. But they took the baton and the church exploded. Look at this next screen. This is every passage in the book of Acts that talks about... Oh, let me look at this passage first. Acts chapter 4 verse 20. I mean, these guys couldn't stop it, could they? I mean, we saw them a couple of weeks ago. Here they're under persecution. And they say, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I mean, they, they took the mission seriously. And now, watch the screen I wanted you to see in, a minute ago. The church exploded. There's, there's every verse in the book of Acts about the church growing. 3,000, 5,000, 10. I mean, it's incredible. The explosion of disciples. Because these people were on a mission. And that's our challenge today. 
Let's look at another one of our terms. Here's the term missional. I love this definition. Missional, being a missionary without ever leaving your zip code. You catch that one? Say it with me. Being a missionary without ever leaving your zip code. What's a missionary? It's someone who's sent. That you, you don't have to go past your zip code without knowing that you're there on a mission. And that's what Jesus did. John chapter 1, it says that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen Him full of grace and truth. One modern translation says there, the Word became flesh and made His, no, the Word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. That's why Jesus was so powerful, because he was living a missional life. He lived among people where they could see the mission, they could, they could hear the mission. And so we're called to be missionaries in our zip code. Guys, you don't have to leave where you work to be a missionary. You don't have to leave where you go to school. You don't have to leave your neighborhood. You don't have to leave the grocery store that you may shop in this afternoon. You see, when we begin to be men and women on a mission, it it takes precedence in every place that we go. And that's the way Jesus was. And that's what he's called us to do. One of my favorite translations of the Great Commission is not go into all the world, but the, the words there literally mean as you are going. It's not necessarily a call that you've got to move to Malawi or Tanzania or to China. That might be the calling God gives you. But the greatest calling in the Great Commission is wherever you go, you live this missional life. You're sent by God. You walk in that school, sent on a mission by God. You greet your neighbors, sent on a mission by God. That's how Jesus was. And that's the baton he's asking to be passed on. Now let's look at this passage, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, where we've got this transition verse. We, we, we have Jesus in his life, and in Acts 1, we see him passing the baton on, and then we see after this, them taking it. But this is a key verse to tell us what it means to live a missional life. To Theopolis, Luke writes, the first book I wrote about everything Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up into heaven. He's talking about the gospel of Luke. He said, I've told you about Jesus, all right? And everything he did and everything he taught. Before this, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus told the apostles he had chosen what they should do. So, so Jesus passes his mission on. Here's, here's what you got to get this morning. Here's the key. To live missional is to be like Jesus. It's to do and to teach. I think that first verse is so critical. What Jesus began to do and what he began to teach, my friends, that is a powerful combination. You you take one without the other and you got a problem. You put those together and there's incredible power. Why was Jesus so powerful? Because his life completely matched his teaching. In fact, his life was part of his message. That's the whole idea of the word becoming flesh, the communication, the logos of God. It becomes in flesh. It's incarnational. It's not only the words that he speaks, it's the life that he lives. And guys, that's when we become powerful on this mission. When what we, how we live and what we teach begins to match up. Now, I think this will help us a little bit. I want to confront what I think are two prevalent myths in the church today. All right? If you're taking notes, write these down. Myth number one. 
All you have to do is be a good Christian example. We talk about sharing our faith. I've heard this too many times. Okay, I, I, need to, I need to reach out for the Lord. Well, all I need to do is be a good Christian example. Well, listen to me, guys. The Great Commission was not to go into all the world and be a good example. Well, that's part of it. The Great Commission was to go into all the world and teach the gospel. That yes, you need to be a good example. Yes, you need to live it out. But there's got to come some point where you open your mouth, where you say something, where you invite somebody, where you share something. Because there's going to be a lot of people lost in our world because we thought all we need to do is be a good example. Okay? Now, that's, that's myth number one. Because that, that leaves out the teaching part. Myth number two leaves out the doing part. Here's another myth. Your only responsibility is to plant the seed. Your only responsibility is to plant the seed. Now, in some ways, I see more truth in this than the first one. And I understand what's being said is that we can't control people. And what we're supposed to do is go plant the seed of the kingdom. But at times I hear this as if we don't have a responsibility to connect with people. We just sort of put it out there. And people can take it or leave it. I mean, we have church every Sunday. I mean, if they really want it, they'd come here. If they really want to hear the message, we'd give it to them. We're just, we're just out there dispensing it. And if anybody wants it, you know, then it is their responsibility to pick it up. The Apostle Paul didn't feel that way. The Apostle Paul said, we persuade men. We don't just throw it out there and say, take it or leave it, it's your problem. We persuade men. The apostle Peter says, it's our goal to make the gospel attractive. It's not just a matter of us dispensing truth like out of a vending machine. It is our responsibility to live in such a way that people go, you know what, your life matches your message and your life makes your message attractive. So we have more responsibility than just to to throw it out there. The Apostle Paul, who is probably the greatest evangelist missionary in history, said to his young disciple, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to watch closely your life and your teaching. For if you do that, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What you saying? Timothy, we got to be like Jesus. It's got to be our life and our teaching. And that's why this concept called missional living is so important. Well, what is missional living? I love this definition of missional living. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with extraordinary gospel intentionality. Well, some key words there is intentionality. We got to be intentional about being on this mission. But here's the cool thing. It's just ordinary people. It's just, it's just you and who you are doing ordinary things. You don't have to go somewhere new. You just, wherever you go, you're on a mission for God. And, and, and you're just having intentionality. When, when you walk into that place of business, you're looking for somebody to connect with for Jesus. When you're in your neighborhood... You don't cocoon yourself like everybody else. You want to connect with your neighbors because you've got a mission. You've got something to share. At your work, 
though you've got a lot to do, you also want to interact with the people around you and invest in their life beyond work because you are living on a mission, on that, a missional life. You're living a missional life. It's who you are. Well, let's look at a great story about this. If you have your Bible, open to Acts 16. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we see this cool story. Now, let me, let me set it up for you a second. Uh, Paul and Silas, now this, is, this is pretty cool. Talking about the baton, the baton has already been passed from people like John and Peter to a, a next generation of Christians like Paul and Silas. They've taken on the mission. They are visiting the city of Philippi. When they are there, there's this slave girl who's demon-possessed who follows them around. And every time she sees them day after day, she screams this out. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She just, every day, just, I mean, they can't hardly teach. She's just following them around saying that. Now listen to me, guys. She's bugging the snot out of them. <laughs> you ever had somebody do that to you? She's just bugging them. I'm just kidding. So finally, they're, they're tired of it. And so they cast the demon out of the girl. But there was a big problem. Somehow this demon had empowered this girl to be able to predict the future. At least people thought that. And there's this man in Philippi who's built his whole business around this woman being a great fortune teller. And when, when Paul cast the demon out, she can't do it anymore. And so they are so mad. Paul is, Paul's messed their money up. You'll get somebody mad? You messed their money up. And so, so they go and they find Paul and they drag him to the authorities and they get the authorities fired up. And you know what happens here? They are beaten. The Bible says here they are severely flogged. Flogging was an awful thing with a whip with either jagged pieces of metal or maybe pieces of glass on the end of it. Paul and Silas, their backs have been beaten. They are flogged and now they are in jail. And we're going to see what it's like to live on a mission. Verse 25, here we go. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And other prisoners were listening to them. <laughs> Could you imagine? You're in jail with these guys who've been beaten for what they're doing, and they're singing. You probably didn't have much choice whether to listen or not, but you're probably listening pretty closely. Well, what is into these guys? Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open... He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners were escaped. Now listen to me, you know, to be a soldier in this day, to lose your prisoners was a criminal offense worthy of execution. So he thinks he's going to die so he can go ahead and kill himself. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Where did, where did he get that question? That demon-possessed girl had been screaming all over town that these guys would tell you how to be saved. Maybe he heard it. And this thing happens, and he expects these guys to run out, and they say, we're okay, don't hurt yourself. And they're like, whoa, there's something special about these guys. Let me know how I get in on this. And look at their reply, verse 31. 
They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour, remember it's already midnight. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. What a great scene. Now, sometimes we ruin this scene because we get in an argument about belief in baptism. One of the most foolish fights ever picked in religion is a fight between belief and baptism. One side says, well, you know, you got to be baptized. The other side says, it's faith only. Well, what's wrong with both sides? Who picked the fight? My friend, listen to me. Baptism is an act of faith. If you put belief and faith over here and baptism over here, you've just taught false teaching. Belief and faith encompasses everything. It's a, it's a response of trust. Baptism is not the opposite of that. It's a part of it. It's how you display your trust. It's how you say, you know what? I believe this so much that I want to throw my life on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't pick a fight between those two things. You'll miss this beautiful passage. This jailer's so excited. What do I do? In the middle of the night, he's so penitent. He takes the ones that he might have even beaten, and he washes their stripes. And he says, guys, I want to do it right now. I want to be baptized right now. I, I can't wait. And they baptize him on the spot. It's an incredible scene. Don't lose it. Verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What a great scene. Now, here's some things we can learn here about missional living. Just simple little things here that stand out. First of all, this man, these men were singing. They're singing. Can I ask you this? What do you expect out of these guys who've been unjustly arrested, who've been severely flogged, and who are now, if you read the story closely, in the bottom of the jail? What do you, what do you think? What, 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 would you, what would you do? What would I do? I, I, I might start going, you know what? This following Jesus thing's not quite what it's cracked up to be. I mean, I'm out, out preaching, you know, and I even cast this demon out of this girl that needed to be cast out, and I'm in trouble for that, and my back's a bloody pulp now, and I'm in jail? You expect me to be singing? I'm going to be moaning. It's like we said last week, friends. If you want to find out if your Christianity is real, go through a time of suffering. I I would put it this way about these men, Paul and Silas. They are singing in the rain. They are singing in the middle of the worst thing that appears in their life. But here's the cool thing you got to pick up here. They are singing and the other people in jail are listening. No point in your life will you have people's attention more than when you're suffering and they're watching and they're listening. It's easy to live for Jesus when everything's going your way, when you're winning on every hand, when you're blessed on every moment, when you're healthy and wealthy and everything's cool. 
And people really aren't watching because they know anybody could do that. But when you lose your health and you lose your wealth and you're losing, people are going to find out what you got. And that's why it seems to me God allows a non-believer and a Christian to be diagnosed with cancer the same week. A non-believer and a Christian to be unemployed the same week. A non-believer and a Christian's marriage to be busted up on the same week. Because God wants the world watching to see the difference between me and you. And are we going to be singing or are we going to be moaning? Can you imagine the impact? These guys are singing. Next thing I see here is they are caring. They're concerned about this jailer. I mean, he's the guy that just has imprisoned them. I mean, the doors are wide open. They could run out. The jailer, who you would think would be their enemy, is about to commit suicide. And they're like, whoa, stop, man. We're here. Everything's okay. You don't have to... That's what, what really impacts people is when we care, especially when we care for people people don't expect us to care for. You, you've heard the old saying, it's an old saying, but it's a great one. People will never care how much you know, what? Until they know how much you care. That's the truth. That's what opens the door for the gospel. That's why we're talking about missional living. It's how you live and what you teach. But it starts by caring. Now, I like what our men's retreat speaker said this Year Josh Graves, he said, people will forget what you do, people will forget what you say, but they will never forget how you make them feel. And can you imagine here in the middle of this, that these men are caring for this jailer and what's going on with him? And that's why he says, guys, tell me what to do. And then the next part is their teaching. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. They say, okay, we've got this opportunity. It's been opened up by the turmoil of our life. Let's tell you about Jesus. There's always that moment where you got to go from just living to teaching. And you got to say, hey, here's the word of God. What are you going to do with this? That's the next point. They are bringing this man to a decision. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, why in the world is the guy baptized in the middle of the night? I mean, someone has said something about something. And so they are, they're living it out, they're singing, they're caring, they're teaching, and then they bring this man to a decision. Because here's here's something that, that scares me. Sometimes, guys, I think we, in the midst, we're living it out, and we're hopefully people are getting some good teaching, but there always comes that point. It's not the beginning. It's it's when you got to go. Okay, what are you going to do with Jesus? You can accept him as your savior, or you can reject him. There's that point of bringing someone to a decision, and so they bring this man to a decision, and this man's so excited about it, man, that he he's got to go just in the middle of the night and and wash their their stripes. Sign of his repentance and be baptized right there on the spot. And then we end up with missional living. It's rejoicing. It's rejoicing. And this guy's rejoicing. His household's rejoicing. I guarantee you the disciples are rejoicing. Let me me give you some great feelings. 
greatest feeling in your life is going to be the day that you are saved and in a right relationship with God. Greatest day. Because, I mean, that, that, man, when you know that things have been made right, and if the worst thing happened to you, it'd be the best thing to happen to you, that's an incredible feeling. That's the greatest feeling you have in your life. And here's what I believe is the second greatest feeling you ever have in your life is when you bring your friend to Christ. When now you have shared what God has done for you and you bring them to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you guys, there are, there are no feelings except maybe one on this earth that compare to that moment. Maybe it's like Jimmy Dockery last week with his son. Or maybe it's your friend. Or maybe it's a relative. Or maybe it's a neighbor. Or maybe it's a schoolmate. Or maybe it's a... But you, you have that privilege to be a part of them coming to Jesus Christ. Guys, that's the way it happens. And let me, let me just say this, guys. As a church, this is, this is really our plan. Because you know what our greatest advertisement is in this church? It's you. We don't have TV ads and billboards. It'd be nice to have that, but I don't think necessary at all. The greatest ad we got is a changed life. And so, so, you know, when you're at work and things aren't going good and everybody else is complaining about the boss or gossiping, and yet you have joy in the middle of it, or they watch your life and something difficult is going on with your family, and yet in the middle of it, you, you still have the joy of the Lord. You're not thrilled with what's going on, but you've got the joy. That's, that's what draws people into the kingdom. And, and, and when our lives are caring, when, when you go out and, and you decide to invest in people. I, I remember being a freshman in college and I, I really gotten fired up about being evangelistic. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew I needed to be. And so I figured what I was supposed to do is go into my classroom the first day and turn to some kid and go, if Jesus came back today, would you go to heaven or hell? <laughs> you ever tried that? Real effective, real effective, okay? <laughs> You're probably lost, honey, to you. <laughs> I mean, you you know what I finally figured out? I didn't need to go in that classroom first thing and say a word about anything except walk in there and become a good friend to that person sitting beside me. And if they needed to study for a test, I was there to help them study for the test. If they need, you know what I mean? What I needed to do, first of all, was to walk in there and to care. And that's what you need to do where you work. The worst thing you can do is walk in there and all of a sudden bang your Bible on somebody's head. What you need to do is go in there, let them see a difference in your life, and you care about the people around you more than anybody else does. And then that's going to open the opportunity for, for you to give them in a place to teach. And guys, there's so, we, we have such an easy way for that to happen in this church because it can happen either by you getting to know them and you invite them to church and they begin to hear the gospel Maybe you set up a one-on-one Bible study with them. Many of you are equipped to do that. That's awesome. But we got another deal here that we call Landmark 101. That if your friends start coming, I'm going to tell you, when we get to take them through Landmark 101, we're going to get a chance to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ and the response. And that's why we hardly ever have a one-on-one class where someone out of that class doesn't become a Christian. And so I'm telling you guys, is this, this is so easy. If you'll participate in what we're talking about this week in Friend Day, and you start giving out these cards to the people around you in your office or your workplace or your school that you've already been investing in, you've already been caring about, hopefully they've seen a difference in your life, and you get a chance to teach them, then we're going to have a great chance. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost embarrassing to me to say to you this morning, if the men that are going to pass these out, if they go ahead and get up and get ready to pass out cards, let's go ahead and do that, all right? All you guys, I think, that are on the table today, we're going to pass out cards first. It's almost embarrassing to me how simple this deal is. I've heard my brother Todd Borland say for years and years, it was just a simple invitation that changed his life. Just a simple invitation. Because no telling what it says for you to go wherever you go this week and to find somebody and give out one of these cards. Now, it's, it's not the whole deal. It's not the end all be all, but it's a part of what we've been looking at up here of singing and caring and teaching and bringing to a decision and rejoicing. I don't know we've ever had a friend day that someone didn't end up, maybe not that day probably, probably months later, end up coming to the Lord. And so right now the men are going to come down the aisles and they're going to pass baskets. Some of you took some last week. If if you need some more, take them. But I'd like you to take as many cards as you think that you could use. Because there's all kinds of ways of doing this. In my life, here's the way it is. Either I'm inviting everybody or I'm inviting nobody. You guys ready? Come on down, all right? But either, either, you know... If I go to the gas station, I'm giving a card out. I mean, and you may not be that way. So for some of us, it's just everywhere you go. Because if, 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 I, if I don't do it everywhere I go, I just probably don't do it, all right? So, so just, just be giving these little cards out. You're, you'll be amazed, you know, at the doors that it will open for you. There, there's some statistics out there about this that says, for you to get someone to come with you on friend day, you probably need to invite between five and ten people, okay? So, so I would say... You know, more intentional than just giving them out everywhere is to come up with a list of people you know. Now, and here's what I, I, I know, is if, if you don't do that today, because your, your weeks can get busy tomorrow, and if you go to your life group today, you'll talk about this. You'll make a list of people that you're going to invite. But if you're not in a life group, you need to sit down some point today and go, who in my sphere of influence do I want to help lead to Christ? And maybe this is the, the simple thing that will make the difference is just say, man, because guys, here's what I love about this. This is complimentary. You're my friend, and we're having friend day at church, and it'd really honor me if you came. Is that hard to say? Not really. Marl Aldermill gave some great advice last Sunday about, you know, either going and picking them up or meeting them in the parking lot or meeting them here in the lobby. Because, guys, we forget because we've been coming to church for a long time. A lot of people are scared to death of us. We know they don't need to be. <laughs> Not all of us, anyway. But, but, but they are. And so th- this is a big deal if they come next Sunday, all right? You know, I had a, a man, I, I met this a couple weeks ago, who first came to Gridiron, who came to church the next Sunday, and he said, he's walking in back there on that back door, and he's going... I think the roof's about to fall. <laughs> so for some people, they're like, I don't know. I don't belong with those people. They've got bad views of church and Christianity. And so what I'm asking you to do there, guys, is just to, to give these out and, and, and to be bold about what you're doing, all right? And, and, and next week can be a great week for all of this to happen. Now, let me ask you a couple questions as you get your cards here. Just a couple quick questions. First of all, are you uncomfortable giving this card out? I want you to be really honest with yourself. Some of you didn't even take some. 
Maybe, maybe it makes you uncomfortable. Now, there's, there's some reasons for that. Maybe you're afraid of people's reaction. So I invite someone to church, and they go, you go to church? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> maybe that's a red flag, guys, all right? And, it, you know, if that's the issue, then you need to do something before you get these cards, all right? Some of us, we're just, we like to be liked, and we're afraid of rejection. And we know when we give out a card and we say something about Jesus, there's always the possibility that someone just can say, well, I really don't appreciate that. Now, again, I, I do this quite a bit. I don't see many people who do that. But, but it could happen. Or maybe, I'm just, I've just been trying to think of reasons why we'd be uncomfortable giving cards out. Here's one I hate to bring up, but I'm going to bring it up. Maybe you don't want to bring somebody. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something about us that embarrasses you. Now, let me just be real blunt here. If that's true, you need to find a new church. And I don't say that because I want you to leave, because I don't want anybody to leave. But I'm telling you, if you go to a church that you don't feel good about inviting people, you're going to the wrong church. Find somewhere where you're going to reach out for Jesus and go crazy. But don't sit in a church and be miserable the rest of your life. You go find somewhere you love it, all right? Or maybe, you know, we're just not very bold. That's probably most of us. We're just not real bold, and, you know, this is sort of stepping out. Isn't that sort of odd, guys? We're watching the last six weeks, the book of Acts, where these, you're talking about bold? These guys' life is on the line, and I'm afraid my friend at work might not like me if I gave him a card. Some of us need to up our boldness. And, 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 and if this is a step, then, then I would say, do it. Some of us, the honest, the reason we're uncomfortable is because the truth is we are so self-absorbed that we hadn't even thought about it. Now, I'm not getting on you because I can be self-absorbed. <laughs> Anybody can be. But that's probably the biggest reason, honestly, that we're not going to be giving car jobs. Because, man, I've I got my life and my schedule, what I'm doing. And, man, I'd have to think about something for a while. That's what missional living is all about. It's about walking wherever you go as a missionary, intentional, incarnating the gospel of Jesus Christ by what you do and by what you say. So the big question this morning really bigger than are you uncomfortable with these cards, is are you on a mission for God? That's what I love about studying the book of Acts. These guys are, they are on a mission. They, you know, isn't it ironic that you cannot shut them up and you can't hardly convince us to say something? And guys, we, we, we got to catch that spirit because Jesus handed that baton to them and they took that baton and they handed it to Paul and Silas and someone has taken that baton and handed it all the way to us. Now here's my question. Who are you going to pass the baton on to? Guys, this is so exciting. Man, we get to be a part of the mission of God. We get to do what Jesus did. 
We get to embrace his mission statement to seek and save the lost. Man, this, this should not be a guilt-ridden sermon, guys. This ought to be, because I'm telling you, the greatest feeling in your life is either going to be you getting your life right this morning, because maybe you're the one who said, you know what? If I gave that out at school or work, they'd go, I can't believe you go to church. Okay, well then do something about it right now. Why don't you get your life right and go back and tell them, you know what? Yesterday at church, I repented of the way I've been acting. I've been treating you guys wrong. You don't think people would perk up and listen to that? That, that could be the greatest day. Today could be the greatest day of your Maybe you've never followed Jesus. And just like this man, I mean, you're so urgent about it. You want to be baptized, believe right now. Or, man, maybe this is the week. Good. You guys, I, you, you may invite 10 people and nobody comes. I may invite 12 and nobody comes. That's all right. Because here's what's going to happen next Sunday is we're all going to help each other on whoever shows up, Right? And it doesn't matter if it's your friend who shows up or my friend that shows up. We're inviting them to experience something that can bring them to a point where they would be just like this jailer that goes, tell me how to get in on this. You got something I don't have. I've experienced something in that church I've never experienced. Tell me how to be saved. And you will have one of the most joyful moments in your life. So today, as we're about to sing, if you need the prayers of this church or you need to come to Jesus, why don't you just do it? Why don't you do it right now before we walk out of this place on a mission for God? Do it right now. Let's stand and sing.